they were just 38 and 40 years old when they stood in their living room full of other Mennonite young couples and all of them were taking turns praying together with my mom and dad, asking God the same question. It was a question their mouths had never spoken before, at least not when anybody else was there. They asked it with desperation in their souls and longing in their hearts. They had no idea how revolutionary this question really was. And it would turn their lives upside down and in turn our lives as their kids. I, I wonder if, if you've ever asked the same question. Well, what was it? Well, they simply asked this. Does my life please you, Lord? That was the beginning of a completely new, transformed life for each person in that room who had asked it. Because God began to lead them deeper in scripture, deeper in prayer, deeper in relationship with him, deeper in fellowship with each other. God flooded their lives that night with his love in a way they'd never experienced before. And it brought a joy and a boldness to their faith. And for the first time, they really felt like they knew the Lord. And it has me wondering, what if we ask God the same question? What if our hearts cried out like theirs did? What if we lived our lives to please the one who died for us? Would it start a revolution in our lives? Possibly. Would God flood our lives with his spirit like we've never experienced before? First, I want to be clear. God is pleased with what he's created. We see that in, in Psalms 104, verse 31. He says, may the, the glory of the Lord continue forever. The Lord takes pleasure in all he has made. So God looks at, at you and he looks at me. And he turns to the angels next to him and says what he had Paul wrote, write in Ephesians 2.10. Hey, check out my masterpiece. Hey, take a look at what I made. See, we started out as, as his very best creation, the apex of everything God had ever created. And then sinful desires came along and Satan's fallen angels teamed up to hijack God's artwork and drag us into darkness. The good news, though, is that through Jesus Christ, he has also put a light inside of each one of us and made us capable of living lives that please him. The word says, for once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of light, for this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Did you catch that at the end? Carefully determine 
what pleases the Lord. Seeking to honor and please God is actually the main purpose for our lives. That's why he says, carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Because he wants us to figure that out, to seek that, to find out what he desires of you and me. It's easy to lose sight of this. And it's not a new problem either. Sometime around 700 BC in the Middle Eastern part of the world, God sent his spokesman, the prophet Isaiah, to deliver a message to his people who had lost sight of of what it really means to please God. We find this message in Isaiah 58. You can grab a Bible and, and follow along and read it with me. Because the first thing God's going to tell them in Isaiah, he's going to tell them through Isaiah, is, is, uh, is going to be a little bit hard to hear. And what does he tell Isaiah first? He's like, Isaiah, crank it up. Turn it up to 11. We need lots of volume. We need to make sure that my people hear what I want to tell them. So in Isaiah chapter 58, verse 1. Are you there? Isaiah 58, 1. Ready? Shout with the voice of a trumpet blast. Shout aloud. Don't be timid. Tell my people Israel of their sins. So God, right off the bat, is saying, look, I want to make sure my people understand this. I don't want them to come later and say, oh, I didn't hear that. No, he's like, Isaiah, make this loud. It was a warning siren going off. It was like a, you know, a loud horn beeping. The ones that, you know, you know, the ones that like go off in the middle of the night when you're trying to sleep. Yeah, it was like that. Like, you need to hear this. God basically says, get as loud as you have to so that my people can hear that they're steering their cars toward a dangerous precipice. They're heading right for the edge of a cliff, and I want to catch them before they drive off of it. And the crazy thing about this is that the people that called themselves God's people thought they were just doing okay. They thought they were just living all right, just fine. Do you have any problems? No, we're doing great. How's your relationship with God? Oh, it's super. And they thought they were going the right way, but they couldn't have been more wrong. This is me every time I go on a trip anywhere. I'm telling you what, I have such a powerful strength of getting lost that even the best GPS map is no match for my abilities to get lost. And so I can relate when God's saying, look, I don't want them to get lost. In verse 2, he describes just how they were kind of playing a part. They were playing the part of religious people, but their hearts were distracted and off course. He says this, yet they act so pious. They come to the temple every day and seem delighted to learn all about me. They act like a righteous nation that would never abandon the laws of its God. They ask me to take action on their behalf pretending they want to be near me. Ooh, those are some tough things to read, tough things to hear. But the truth is, is that the deception of empty religion is, you know, if I just do all the right stuff, and if I try not to do all the bad stuff, then God's got to be happy with me, right? If I just 
act the part of somebody who's really religious. If I just say the right words or, or go to church enough times or help enough old ladies across the street or help enough old ladies out of the tree. Oh, wait, that's supposed to be cats. <laughs> okay, so yeah, you know what I'm saying. And it's tempting for us sometimes to just pretend. Put on an act. Fake it till you make it. Play a role. Check, on, check all the boxes off. But in the end, what do we really accomplish? I mean, who, who are we fooling? There's a word that is used for this dilemma, and it's called hypocrisy. Oh, man. Nobody wants to be called a hypocrite. But a hypocrite is simply somebody who puts on an act to try to impress while inside they're not really that person. It's more than an accusation that's hurled at imperfect believers who, who sometimes don't practice what they preach. It's a miserable life, truthfully. It's like a civil war going on inside because we know maybe how we should be and we maybe try to put on that act, but inside we know we're fallen and broken. Then we try to please the Lord and simultaneously we're, we're, being, we're putting our best attempt to try to please ourselves or the world. And it, it, it's taking a path that's incongruent. It's like saying, you know, I want to get to Hawaii, so I'm going to drive east on I-80, and one day I'll get there. It's like, that doesn't make sense. You wouldn't go that way in order to get to that destination. Well, the same thing is true here. It's like we're putting on an act. It's like we're driving in the wrong d direction, hoping that somehow, miraculously, we'll end up where we are really hoping to go. It's living the happy, happy church smiles, blessed life ex externally while our insides are wasting away. I'll never forget when I bit into this wonderful, juicy-looking, perfect apple. And it was like sparkling. It was like the perfect apple. But it, as soon as I took a bite into it, the inside was almost black and rotten. On the outside, it looked so good. But the inside was wasting away. And the sad thing is sometimes we're like that. Sometimes I'm like that. And we end up fooling ourselves. It's like the folks that Isaiah was talking to. And God couldn't, and, and God's people, they, they couldn't understand why God wasn't impressed with all of the religious stuff they were doing. It says in verse three, we have fasted before you and why aren't you impressed? We have been very hard on ourselves. I mean, poor us, right? And it says, you don't even notice it. So they're, they're kind of upset at God. They're saying, God, look at all this stuff we're doing. Lord, Lord, haven't we done all of this stuff in your name? And God's like, no. He tells Isaiah to say this. I will tell you why. It's because you're fasting to please yourselves. Even while you fast, you keep oppressing your workers. Now, what does that have to do with each other, right? On one hand, 
fasting, you're not eating, you know, it's this kind of thing you're doing and, and to try to like maybe get closer to God or to prove you're really holy or something. And yet the other side is you're oppressing your workers. So what do those have in common? Well, what he's saying there is like, again, here's this outward appearance that you're being very, you know, spiritually minded, but then you turn around in the next breath and you treat people poorly. And verse four says this, what good is fasting when you keep on fighting and quarreling? And he says, this kind of fasting will never get you anywhere with me. And and I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Thanks a lot, John. I was having a pretty good day so far, but thanks for bringing me back down to earth and making me depressed, right? Well, that's not my intention. My intention is the same, I think, that God's intention is with this, is that we would catch hold of the hope that he has for us in the middle of this, these tough words. And the truth is, we're not even to our question for today's message yet. This is just all a warm-up. We're just kind of introing it all. Because God, through Isaiah, is basically, basically saying this. Religious activity without heartfelt kindness means nothing. In Matthew 6, we see Jesus and he's teaching about fasting and he says, and when you fast, don't make it obvious as the hypocrites do, for they try to look miserable and disheveled so people will admire them for their fasting. He says, I tell you the truth that that's the only reward they will ever get. But when you fast, comb your hair, wash your face, and no one will notice that you are fasting except your father who knows what you do in private and your father who sees everything will reward you. What is that saying to us? It's not about the outward appearance. It's not about putting on a show. God is saying to us, I want your heart I want you to come and give me your heart. Don't try to impress me with a bunch of activity. Give me your heart. So it's not about a performance. And when religion becomes an act, I mean, what happens? It loses everything, right? It loses the life. But what changes when devotion turns into meaningless routine? Well, it becomes meaningless. He says this, you humble yourselves by going through the motions. By going through the motions of penance, bowing your heads like reeds bending in the wind. You dress in burlap and cover yourselves with ashes. Is this what you call fasting? And I really heard that phrase in there that they're just going through the motions. And I wonder if you've ever felt like that. If it's ever just come to this place for you where Going to church, maybe reading your Bible, doing some of the kind of, you know, religious activities. Has it ever just become this thing where I just kind of, I just kind of do it, just kind of go through the motion, sort of, you know, check off a box, kind of get to the end of the time. Pretty soon you look back and you say, why was I doing that? The main question for this message is asked by Isaiah. And it's a question that I think will help us to break free from that. That will help you and help me to not just go through the motions, but to truly live 
our lives for God. The main question of this message is asked by Isaiah. It's a question that forced God's people to check themselves, to look at themselves in the mirror and go, wow, what about me? What about the things that I'm doing are not leading me into that closer relationship with God? Do you, he asked this question. Do you really think this will please the Lord? Do you really think this will please the Lord? Let me ask you, what are you counting on in your own life that's going to win God's favor? What's your scorecard that you're keeping to kind of prove to God that you're good enough? It's been a long time question that sometimes people have asked when they're sharing Christ out on the street corners or different places is, you know, if if you were to to die today and, and stand before God, what would you give as the reason why he should let you into heaven? Do you really think beyond that, just beyond heaven and just on a day to day basis, what is it about my life that pleases God? And what is it about my life that doesn't? He asked, us, do you really think this will please the Lord? And in verses 6 through 7, he gives an answer that removes all doubt. He says, no. And then he says this, and I want you to hear the hope that we have. He says, no, this is the kind of fasting I want. Are you ready? He's, gonna, he's about to describe exactly the kind of life that you and I can live, that we can know that we're pleasing the Lord, that we can know from our hearts that we are living this. And, you know, the, the truth is, is that you could go down this list and make it just your duties and your to-do list for the week, and it could still be empty. So all of this has to come from this heart of like saying, Lord, I want my life to please you. But this is what he says. The first thing he says is free those who are wrongly imprisoned. Then he says, lighten the burden of those who work for you. He says, let the oppressed go free and remove the chains that bind people. And then he says, he says, share your food with the hungry and give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those who need them and do not hide from relatives who need your help. That last one might be the toughest thing for some of (laughs) y'all. Have you been hiding for the relatives? Oh no, they're at the door. Everybody hide. Hope that's not you. But sometimes I know the feeling. So do we want to know if our lives really please God? It's not about putting on an act or, or pretending to be something we're not or pretending to be, you know, spiritually on fire. If, if we want to please the Lord, We all know where that has to start, right? It has to start here. It has to start with our hearts being changed because a changed heart produces a changed life. So let me go back to those things we just read and and we're gonna look at four indicators that my heart is changed and that my life is pleasing to God. Number one is this. If you're writing it down or if you have something that you can kind of keep track of, number one, I please the Lord when I stand for justice. I listened to a story this week about a man named Raphael who 
was in the wrong place at the wrong time and was accused and convicted of murder, sentenced to a lifetime in prison. Only problem was is that he wasn't where they thought he was and he didn't do what they thought he did. And he spent 12 years of his life from the age of 21 until they eventually came and found him not guilty. And I think about that one person and how that would feel if it was you. How would that feel if you were the one who knew you were innocent? Uh, not completely. We've all done things that we regret or we wish we could change, but, but knew that of this particular thing, you're falsely accused. And what would you want somebody to, to go through to try to prove your, your innocence in that situation? What would you hope that somebody else on the outside maybe would, would come and, and, and stand up for you? And the truth is this man, Raphael, had to have that. Not only did he have to try to fight it from the inside, but he had to get advocates on the outside to try to fight for him. And I wonder if we look around at our world today at those who are wrongly imprisoned, I'm not just talking about in our actual prison system, but I think about a lot of people that are imprisoned by addiction and by so many life-controlling habits and hang-ups. And God calls us to free those who are wrongly imprisoned. And you think, why is this pleasing to the Lord? And the answer is simple, because it reflects his heart. He is the God who sets the captives free. Romans 6, 7 says, for when we, when he, when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And in John 8, 38, Jesus' own words, he says, so if the Son sets you free, you are truly free. We have a God who longs to deliver us from bondage, deliver us from false imprisonment. And when we stand up for, for true justice, for truth and fairness and, and fight against prejudice and favoritism, we can see people literally being set free. When we fight against drug addiction and alcoholism and, and porn addiction and, and, and codependency and, and anger issues and all kinds of other things that control and imprison people's lives, we get to see people set free. And it pleases the Lord because it looks just like Jesus. Number two is this. I please the Lord when I generously become, when, when, when generous, when generous, sorry, let me start that one over. I please the Lord when I can speak. Okay, here's this. Number two, I please the Lord when generosity becomes a joy. When it becomes a joy. Let me ask you, how do you view the people who serve you? Maybe at a restaurant or maybe they clean up after you at the movie theater or maybe they come and, and mow your lawn. Because Isaiah, speaking God's words, he said, this is what I want. This is what God wants of us to lighten the burden 
of those who work for you. And you don't have to be a boss or supervisor. Every one of us in different situations find people in our lives who are serving us. I'll never forget the story that I heard one time of uh, actually a, a man who, when he would sit down at a restaurant, he would put out a pretty good sizable tip at the beginning of his meal. Even before he had ordered, even before drinks had come out, he would put the tip out on the table. And when the, the wait person would come, he would tell them this. He would say, this is your tip, but every time we have to wait for a refill, every time we have to wait for anything, anytime we feel like you're not doing your job, some of that goes away. <laughs> I gotta tell you, I heard that story, my heart just broke. So I was like, that is, that's manipulative and it's controlling and it's, it takes away all the joy of actually serving somebody to know that you're underneath their thumb. So what do people in your life feel like when they're serving you? Is it a joy? Do they feel blessed? Or is it just something they have to try to survive? Just another blow to their self-image and, and everything else in their life. Is there a way, think about this, okay? Is there a way that you and I can treat the people in our lives that we bump into, maybe they're giving us coffee, maybe they're helping us somewhere around the house, maybe something else, but, but we could actually be a blessing to them in some way. And yeah, sometimes it's maybe giving them an extra tip, but sometimes it's just being kind and considerate. Maybe it's pulling up for your order at some place and instead of just sitting in your nice air-conditioned car, you get out and help load the car. I don't know. Finding ways to actually be a blessing to those who are working for you. Why? Because this servant's heart reflects Jesus. Remember? Remember when he took off his outer robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, got a basin of water, and washed his disciples' feet? Say, wow, he shouldn't have to do that. He's, he's the Lord. He's, he's the one in charge. Exactly. He was setting an example for you and for me to serve those who would normally maybe serve us. He wants us to lighten the burden of those who work for us. This reflects Jesus' heart. He's the one who said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart, for you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. Number three is this. I please the Lord when I join his rescue mission. He says, let the oppressed go free and remove the chains that bind people. This is exactly why God is calling us as a church to, to find where God is calling us at, to be involved with ending human trafficking. But that's not the only place we can see this. We meet people every day in our lives who are feeling oppressed, who are feeling like their lives are chained down. Maybe it's because of all the stuff from their past. 
I know for me personally, that's something that, that I have struggled with a lot is just forgiving myself. God's forgiven me, but sometimes I have a hard time letting go of my mistakes and my failings. What about you? You ever found yourself almost like there's an invisible chain, heavy, holding you down? I want to tell you that this is one of the reasons why God has called us here to see that in each other and to look for ways to, to break those chains, to look for ways to set people free. In Galatians 1.4, Jesus says Jesus gave his life for our sins, just as God our Father planned in order to rescue us from the evil world in which we live. See, God is calling us to join him in being part of rescuing those who are in bondage. Finally, number four. Number four is this, I please the Lord when compassion flows from me. I please the Lord when compassion flows from me. Isaiah wrote this, share your food with the hungry and give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those who need them and do not hide from relatives who need your help. God is giving us this opportunity to live a life that pleases him. And part of that involves us having his heart of compassion. In Matthew 28, Jesus tells this parable about the kingdom of God. And he says in this chapter, you probably have heard it before about the sheep and the goats. He says in Matthew 25, then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. And in the next couple of verses they say, oh, when did we do this? When did we, ever, we never saw you in any of these situations, God. But then in verse 40, it says that the king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. You want a chance to see Jesus? You want a chance to see your king? Find a way to serve those who are less fortunate than you. Find a way to have compassion on those who have been beaten and bruised and broken. And these are the things that describe a life that pleases God. And it's an exciting life. It's a joy-filled life. It's an adventure. If your religion is boring, you're doing it wrong. God has something so amazing. Yeah, hard. Yeah, difficult and challenging. But so good and so rewarding at the same time. And he's calling us to live these kind of lives. And then he talks about the reward that comes with this kind of life that pleases him. He says, then your salvation will come like the dawn and your wounds will quickly heal. Your godliness will lead you forward and the glory of the Lord will protect you from behind. Then when you call, the Lord will answer, yes, I am here. He will quickly reply. 
Remember, remember these, this isn't stuff that Isaiah is just making up. He's not just trying to, like, you know, fluff them up and make them feel better. He's saying, this, this is a message from God. And God is saying, this is what I will do. This is what I will do in your life. And so we come to this place. And maybe in some ways we're standing at a crossroad. And we're given this choice. Will I live a life just for myself? Try to put on a little religious act on the side so people think I'm okay? Or will we pray this earnest, desperate prayer? Is my life pleasing to you, Lord? Will we pray that out of a desire to live fully for him? Will it begin in our hearts. And from there, will we do the things that reflect his heart? Another time in the Old Testament, he wrote, God spoke through a prophet named Joel. And I think I'll end with this just because it's, uh, it's what God is actually asking and it kind of sums up everything that we've been talking about today. He says, don't tear your clothing in your grief but tear your hearts instead. Return to the Lord your God, for he is merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. He is eager to relent and not punish. So I'm going to ask you to do something maybe that seems a little weird, because I don't know where you're at. You could be in your car, you could be at home. But, I want to ask you wherever you are, if you can, stand in your room. If there's other people around you, maybe even take the hand of someone nearby. And would you just close this message today? I want you to do it instead of me by praying this prayer together, saying, Lord, help my life to please you. God, show me how I can live a life that pleases you. I want to live that life for you, Jesus. In your name, amen. Amen. Thank you. God bless you. Have a wonderful day.